Speaking with Bella is a special experience for me. One that I truly, truly cherish. There's, um, I think we share the same curiosity and interest in connection and relating that and, and like inner discovery, inner journeys, and, and how we can affect our own experiences in life. So this conversation is both a conversation about professionalism, about knowing your worth, your value in a professional sense, but at the same time, it's a conversation about that precise thing on a personal level. And I am more versed in it in a professional sense. I have recent experiences where it's like I can sense so much that, ah, yeah, this is it. Personally, it's it's still more of a challenge, but it's not a challenge that I'm shying away from. I'm, I'm, I'm jumping into it and having fun exploring. So join us for an hour, an hour and a half or so for some eroticism, for some sensuality, for the container of letting yourself explore and enjoy. Yeah, that sounds good, doesn't it? So, jump in. How are you? I'm, I'm here. You're here? Yes. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. I'm standing up. Or, or well, sitting down. Yeah, <laughs> but I got out of bed. So, how are you? I'm good. Um, I have been, I've been having a lot of insights and I'm pondering what do I do and where do I do it and how do I do it and what's it worth, both from a kind of human standpoint, but also from a monetary standpoint, business-wise. So it's been, it's been a lot of that. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, I feel kind of grown up, um, which is kind of rare for me. So I turned 50 three weeks ago. And what I've said is that I won't now and nobody can come and tell me that I need to grow up more because it's like I'm 50. I won't grow up more, right? But at the same time, this thing, yeah, I feel kind of grown up. Uh, which I wonder if what I'm actually feeling is I've sent out an, a quotation. for a good sum of money 
and I'm kind of not attached to it. You know, Lovely. they can, they can say yes or no, or part way or whatever, but it's like, I've sent it and they can say, holy crap, that's a lot of money. Or they can say yes, and not even question, you know, it's like, but I feel quite grounded in, I know I could do a good job. I know I'm worth the money that I've said it will cost them. That's and it. if they want me, fine. If they don't want me, fine. So it's, it's, it's a freeing, freeing, Very. which is kind of, you know, often it's like, whoa, I need that or this and that, but it's like, no, I'm here. I'm here for it. You know, it's like you're showing up for yourself. Yeah. And for your work and for yeah. your needs, because yeah. that is the sum of money that will make your effort worthwhile to you. And yep. Um, you're not going to take less than what is going to be worthwhile for you. Precisely, precisely. And there is, somebody told me that when you turn 50, you stop giving so much of a SHIT. <laughs> yeah, or that. <laughs> yeah. I always forget how much can I say and how much shouldn't I say. Here you can say anything. <laughs> I love like it. Anything goes because this is time to spend. So yeah. bring it on. But you stop giving that much of a fuck about yeah. like how it's going to be perceived and you start standing up and showing up for yourself. And that has been also my journey. I'm now 51. Um, I'm being encouraged to show up for myself and to speak up for myself yeah. and to take space. Yeah. And not to, not to minimize myself, not to fold myself and go sit in the corner. No, no. I have a value. I'm here to offer something of value. And in order for me to offer it in a way that is going to be the most effective, I need these conditions met for me. <laughs> and I'm so not going to cut corners on the conditions that will make me the best value to you. <laughs> And it's, it's, I don't, you know, it's, it's, I'm not sure if I've ever felt this strongly work-wise that just, okay, I know my value. I know my worth and it's just, it's just clear to me. Um, and at the same time, I spent the day down outside Ista with, with a friend that I met last year. We met twice last year, just, you know, for a walk in a, a, a dip in the ocean. But, uh, I went down to, to their place and, and spent half the day there and we were in conversation and Doing that for me on a personal level, the needs, the value, the worth. Oh, I'm not quite, <laughs> I'm not quite as 
as calm. I feel so calm when it comes to this professional quotation that I've just sent away. It's like, I'm, you know, it's like no qualms, no worries, no, no nothing. It's just, I know if they would hire me that it's going to be a heck of a lot of work, etc. but it's fine. You know, it's like I can do it. No issues. But from, from personal standpoint, we were talking about, you know, just the need for touch, for play, for connection, for physical intimacy and whatnot. It's like, oops, <laughs> I feel like in my professional work life here, it's like the, the blossom has opened. It's like, yeah, it's there. I can see all of it. And I know what each petal means, what they represent. And I have, you know, it's like, there's a clarity there in, in this personal space. It's much more, yeah, it's, it's, it's opening up, but it's not close to as open. So let me ask you, like, does it feel as though you give yourself permission to take more space professionally yeah. and personally? Yeah. That somehow your personal needs, you, I think you, when I say you, I speak of a woman really. Yeah. Like you as a woman and many of us women are raised to minimize those, yeah. to put them in service of the bigger picture, which to an extent is also important because otherwise we would be narcissists, but yeah. I think it's gone a little too far Yeah, where we're not allowed to take space. We're not allowed to say, Hey, I want to be touched and nothing else or I want to be fucked my, through my brains and not touched at all. And whichever yeah. in the spectrum in between it can be yeah. that we have the self permission to say it, to yeah. own our want as Esther yeah. Perel says. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's really tricky. The, it's like, I feel at work in this, in the situation where it's a, it's a pharma gig and it's facilities and machines and quality management systems. It's the stuff that I've been spending 25 years doing. I am senior here. I, I know, you know, it's like, not that I can't be wrong or that there's things I don't know. I am definitely open for both of those. I know. I can be wrong, but I have a sense of, of, of ground, of weight. There's weight in me there. It's like you won't topple me. Yes. And that's really important. Can I share yeah. something that Go I experienced? Ahead. Like, so I went to this university for a teacher's pedagogy course, like a postgraduate course that refreshes and discusses pedagogy. And I would say some of the best pedagogues in music education 
that produce the best musicians who go to like the top mm -hmm. schools were there giving lectures. And one of them, I super connected to her. Mm -hmm. And I also had a private music lesson with her because mm -hmm. each of the participants had a private lesson or actually two. But she talked in one of her lectures about how boys and girls learn different. Mm -hmm. And she said she learned that not from her pedagogy years, and she's got over 40 years of experience as a pedagogue and a school administrator. She actually learned that from her daughter's swim coach. Oh, cool. And what she said to us is that he told her something that really stayed with her and it really resonated with me. He said, I have to coach girls and boys completely different. And then she stood back and said, actually, I really don't think it completely goes in line with girls and boys. There are boys who need more the girl approach and girls that need more the boy approach, but there are sort of two categories of kids and the coach's experience was that more often with girls in order for them to do their best you don't want to give them a bunch of instructions at the last minute because it erodes their self-confidence so with a girl she's gonna do 120 percent when she feels grounded and confident in herself and with a boy, which is again, Lewis description, because it varies, um, you have to give the boy specific intense instructions, and then he's going to rise up and do it. And I think you and I perhaps experienced that very strong need, like you said, in your professional environment, so grounded. of feeling yeah grounded and good about yourself and then you can yeah i can rock the, the world space. yeah because that is emotional safety yeah and we need emotional safety before we can venture out and i think that maybe the workplace sometimes allows us to build that sense of emotional safety a little bit easier because it doesn't touch our core beliefs and core insecurities. Precisely. And then we go and dig into those insecurities and vulnerabilities and out the window goes the emotional safety. Yeah. And how do we feel emotional safe when we're vulnerable? That comes both from us and how we set ourselves up, but also it's our responsibility to surround ourselves with individuals who will not crumble that for us. And I can... I, you know, it's so, it really isn't me. This last couple of years, I, looking back now, I can really see these two aspects of me where in my work, I am detached 
that way because I'm, you know, it's like you can't say anything to me there that would shake my knowing in my bones that I have value, I have worth, I have skill, I have knowledge, I have experience. I have something to bring to the table. If you don't want it, fine. But that won't make me start to question the worth that I'm, I'm, I'm bringing. But you have the exact same worth in your personal. Yes. But it's like, I don't at all experience the same thing. So in, in session with Dominic, my, my therapist a month ago, I might have, might have said this already. He told me to make a sound and I said, bah. I don't know if we talked about this even last time. No, I said, bah. And then he said, okay, keep doing the sound. And I did in my head. And he looked at me and I said, I am in my head. I'm saying, bah, bah, bah. So I said, well, could you please do it out loud so that I can see that you're doing it. I can hear that you're doing it. So, you know, kind of feeling very ridiculous. And I started to say, bah, bah, bah. Um, and here's the, this is just that thing at work. I don't hold myself. I, I don't have that vice mental voice keeping me from expressing myself. I express myself and I can, can, you know, using discernment, I know when to express myself, how to express myself, when not to do it. So, so it's not, oh, look at me. I'm the all knowing Helena, you know, it's like, it's not that at least I don't experience that. It's like when there's a need and I can be crystal clear and just cut to the core of it, coming to it without drama, coming to it. So, so it's, it, there's a, I experienced last week in a meeting that people were hearing, they were hearing what I was saying. It's like, yeah, because I'm not saying it in a way that makes people go get defensive or anything, but they could hear it. But personally, I have this mental vice, and it is a mental vice that can keep me from opening my mouth, keep me from moving my body. And just, this is one of the reasons why me and Uslam, who's also in this, uh, this season of the podcast, we're, we're going to do improv theater together because he lives That's in Helsingborg. So before the fifth conversation we record we have to and i found a couple of meetup groups here in malmo that do improv so we're gonna we're gonna have to do that because that's it's like i know how to speak i know how to say my things i know how to express my professional needs personally it's like there's a gigantic slab of concrete on top of my needs. It's like they can't even get up because they're stuck underneath this heavy load that's just keeping them from being expressed. What is the and load it's made of? Mental beliefs. Like 
shame, like unworthiness, like, oh, good girls don't do that. Good girls don't want to do that. He's like all of that stuff. Um, and, it, you know, it's like it's fascinating to, to, to see this. And it's like I have been, I've been working on this. I've been dancing with, with this in a personal space for, you know, for the two years that I've been in therapy now. And it's, I see it. I, I speak it now. I can see it. I can speak to it, about it. I can be. So I am, it's, it's slowly eroding, you could say, but it hasn't gone poof and it's gone. That's I don't not... think it will ever go poof though. No. I'm, I, I think and I'm not goal, sure that it should in a way. I don't know that the that's the... goal is to make yeah. it jelly-like so it can like move instead of concrete. It'll yeah. become just... Yeah. Like... So that I can get up and, and, and express when I need to. Exactly. Because much as I would like for us to have, you know, blanket freedom to express ourselves... If everybody started expressing it every moment, there would be chaos. So societally, we have to know when to choose. And of course, you and I know how to do that. Yeah. But That's the discernment. I think the discernment, exactly. But the discernment became concrete instead of jelly. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. when we get in trouble because now our self cannot come through. Yeah, because I think discernment turned into judgment instead. That's what makes it concrete. Because judgment is fixed. It's black and white. It's wrong or it's good and nothing in between. And it's permanent. It's like, if that is wrong today, it's wrong forever. Whereas discernment is this jelly-like where there's movement, there's energy, there's room and space to move. And to say today, let's go for that tomorrow. I don't know. And so discernment and, is flexible and judgment is rigid. Yes. I actually just made a very small voice memo of that because I really want to remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I wonder if. I am going through this process with a significant person in my life where that person takes my discernment and interprets interprets it as judgment. And and that creates this real like barrier between us. So how does discernment being flexible and judgment being rigid help you what 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 opens up for you in that relationship when you when you bring those two i think i gave up judgment for me and towards others mostly um i see people as People who have needs and unmet emotions and act out of them. And so with this person, when I say, hey, 
this action of yours affected me in this way. I am merely telling them what my experience of the, of the interaction was, and it's being heard as you fucked up or you did wrong. And it's being responded to as if it's judgment <laughs> because that person lives in either judgment or nothing. So I think what you said just sort of let me look at a situation that feels extremely challenging from a perspective that I had not considered. And that when you talk to a person who only knows rigidity or chaos, and they don't know how to marry those two and make the jello of discernment, <laughs> then no wonder they're not able to take what you said as anything other than either chaos or rigidity, because that's just the, the dimensions that they work within. And I, I think of two things. One is a very recent experience and one is a long time ago experience with my first husband where we got into the rut where it did not matter what I said or how I said it. It was the fact that I said it. That was the problem. So eventually I learned after we divorced and, and um, that I couldn't, I couldn't bring anything to the table because it was just, there was no point. There was no point in me saying anything because it would be rejected at face value because it came from me. What caused the rigidity in your eyes? I think given the situation where we divorced just before our, our Mutual firstborn was born, um, and um, he was having an affair and, and left uh, and never connected to her and had, you know, his baggage of mm, not the same, but similar similarities, let's put it. With, with parenthood and, you know, a, a kind of abandoned kids in a sense that. So he had to be rigid he in order could, not yep, to feel crushed guilty. Precise, yeah, precisely. I think that was his protection. That was his protection. If I make it Helena's fault, I don't have to look at. What's my part of this? And he actually said so to me 
10, 12 years later, when we had a conversation, he said, it was me. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. Really? Good. I'm happy you can see that. It's like, and I mean, I'm not saying that the divorce and everything that happened was his fault, but, but the way that it all unfolded and what happened and how it unhappened, that was really, really he was so rigid and could not, would not. And again, you know, personal, psychological, protective, uh, you know, defense mechanisms and, and whatnot are at play. So, but it took me, it took me many years and many hours with a therapist before I could really honestly say that. I am not responsible for his relationship with our mutual kid, period. That took years. I feel sad for that because um, I'm in a place where I feel like all this fallout on me yeah. and all these years that I'm going to have to put in. Yeah. Some of it is unpreventable, but some of it is preventable. Yeah. And it's not prevented through carelessness. No. And that's where I get really sad because just a little bit more forethought and consideration could cause me a lot less grief. Yeah. And... Ah, oh, so hard. Yeah, and but again, you can you can only do the work that you can do, right? But, but it's but, like it's like I am piled with this load while I'm going uphill, yeah. and now I have to take this load uphill, even though going uphill yeah. is already hard scary. enough. Yeah, and that load could have been put on the side of the road or yeah. on yeah. a lift. Just yeah. as easily as yeah. it was put on me. Yeah. So that's when it gets really tricky. Yeah. But the other, the other thing that I thought about when you were speaking about this rigidity and, and kind of not meeting each other in the, in, in what is, is what I'm hearing, um, just recently there was a there's been drama in the family uh with one of my kids and by one of her by one of her friends and i have been so judgmental and just no it's like i'm not interested i am not you know go away and i don't ever come back i'm not interested to the friend to the friend which is just i don't ever want to see her again i don't ever want my daughter to have anything to do with her again i just you know she's she's a viper i don't want her here and it has been so liberating to be judgmental here, to just say no, not to be, oh, I know that she's, you know, has her history, which I do. 
I know that she can change in the future, which I know she can. I don't care. I don't care. It's like, not on my watch, not in this lifetime, go away. And the liberation of, of, of not, of not having to be so freaking in the light, but to, you know, it's like, oh, I've been, I've been, you know, having fun with my shadow in a sense, uh, and just letting this out. It's been such an interesting journey. I hear two things. What do you hear? I hear you setting a very healthy boundary yeah. without, without canceling the validity of the other person in their journey. You have said your journey is valid and you have great potential, but I don't have the capacity to carry you on my back through your journey. So you're going to have to take somebody else's back. And I also, and I think that's what. I would guess that's what feels liberating is that you give yourself permission to set that boundary. Yeah. That before that, it would have felt almost immoral not to consider the other person. Yeah, whereas precisely. actually you are considering the other person and you're also showing up for yourself. And the other thing I heard was you being mama bear. Yeah. Oh, I have been. Oh, I have been. Oh, yes. And so it is always so multifaceted. Yeah. And, and the mama bear issue of it has also been, it's like me stepping in as mama bear in the situation where I haven't taken over. I haven't done my kids' work. I haven't fought her fights. I've just supported her. And I have been there. She can lean on me and I have not moved. I'm not quivered. I'm not, you know, gone away. I've been there. That has been very, very healing for my inner little child. Because I've been mirroring... I've been doing to my daughter what, and by doing that, I've also been doing it to myself as a little child. Uh, so it's been like a, a, a healing experience on, on many levels or layers. Um, and it, it, yeah, and it's fascinating. I've been... Have you read, have we spoken about um, Clarissa Pinkola Estes' Women Who Run With the Wolves? I am sorry, the, the connection got a little bit. Please repeat. Have you read Clarissa Pinkola Estes' Women Who Run With the Wolves, the book? Oh, I think you would really, really enjoy that book. Um, Women Who Run With the Wolves. Women are run with the wolves, and boy, am I ever running with the wolves and gathering bones and being all sorts of things at the moment. And it's the there's a chapter in that book that 
speaks about natural predators. And they can exist outside of ourselves and they exist inside of ourselves. And I've been, I've read that book three times in the last two years. And I'm now doing my second round of a book circle with a circle for each chapter. And I'm actually doing two sessions for each chapter. So I'm really, you know, massaging myself in and I'm really like in this book in such a cool way. And it's, it's as if this experience, this opportunity came at the precisely right moment. It's as if universe said, hey, we need to try Helena out now so that she can really see that she has gained new skills. She has learned new things about herself, etc. So it, looking back at it, it feels like, oh, that just came at the perfect time when I was so ready to be mama bear. When I, you know, I've been talking about boundaries for the past two years and I'm really like, yeah, experimented with, with the concept of it. Just what is it and how does it feel in me, etc. And, and it's like you say, yeah, here is a place where I set a boundary that just, boom, that just felt so natural, so self-explanatory. It's like it just, boom, it landed. It's like there it was. Yeah, good. Now we're done with that what thing. Was what was beautiful about the boundary is that it did not dehumanize or dehumanize the other person. It allowed for the other person to have the full potential of developing. On the other side of my boundary. Yeah. But yes, but not on your back. No, no, away. And that's something that I am trying to do and am really battling. To say, hey, you have full right to experience your spectrum of experiences and journeys. But do but it, it over there, please. have to come at my expense. No. And not it even should. shouldn't have to. It does not. It's like, it is not to come at your expense. It is not. But then when I say that, and it gets perceived as the rigid judgment, then the conversation derails. And so this is the piece of, it's important to know how to set those boundaries, but also to surround ourselves by people who are able to hear us for what we say and not for what their childhood traumas. And it does not invalidate your boundary. Yeah. Like to, to really know that it's like you say, when I, when I send away this quotation now, it's like, you know, take it or leave it. That's fine. But that's what it's going to cost. You won't, you know, there's no haggling to be done. It's like, that's it. Because that's not it. up for debate. It's not up for debate. Um, 
but you, you know, they can take it or leave it. That's fine. That's my boundary. And that's their choice what they do with that. Yeah. But they're not going to push that boundary. Yeah. So how do we learn to do that with our personal needs? How do we learn to do that with our personal needs, Bella? Difficultly. Yeah, apparently. Um, like something called exposure therapy, where mm. the more you do it, the more desensitized you get to the vulnerability and to the hurt. And the to more the you shame. Stand to the shame. Oh, you, you totally named it. That's actually the vulnerability That's, and the hurt are yeah. okay. It's the shame. It's, it's the that. shame. That's the shut your downer. That's the thing that just. Yes. It's, um, as a performer, mm -hmm. if I have a tour of five shows, it's a very different experience than if I have a tour of a 38 shows because by show number seven, one gets tired of having a heart attack of nerves before every show. You just simply desensitize. Yeah. Five shows are not enough to get you there. Mm -hmm. 38 shows are fantastic because by the seventh, you start getting desensitized and by the 28th, you're starting to enjoy it. And by the 38th, you actually can step in there and know and feel like you're belonging in that space. But it's it yours. takes that much. And it's funny because for me, that muscle atrophies almost immediately as soon as I stop using it. In other words, if I skip a year of touring, I'm back to where Mm -mm. On the, the first show. Mm. Have you done a lot of touring? I did for years. Yeah, I did about 14 years of annual or biannual touring. Well, where would you go? Yeah. All over the U.S. or just in yeah. a state? All over the U.S. Sometimes I used to be connected to a production based out of California, so... For several years, it was just up and down the coast of California. And then for several years became national where we started in California and ended up in Florida. And for several years, it was California with a little bit of the Western states. So it was the gamut. But Do you enjoy that? I mean, apart from the playing and the building your muscle and stuff, do you enjoy the touring? Or did you? It very much depends on the people you're with because yeah. you're in a family bubble. So yeah. for some of the years, it was absolutely amazing. And for the last few years I did it, I got bullied. So it was one of those experiences where I needed therapy <laughs> to like get out from under. So just like with anything, Context is everything. It's everything, yeah. And you can have completely different experiences on the same route, depending on what dynamic evolves within your group, people that you're touring with. 
And it's pretty hard when you're not the one choosing the people you tour with. It's you're at the mercy of whoever chooses. And sometimes the dice rolls in your favor and sometimes the dice crushes you. Mm. And I would say that both of those have happened to me and both of those have had valuable lessons. Because when the dice crushed me, it still didn't crush my music. It crushed the quality of my immediate experience on that tour. That tour became miserable. But just like with anything that pushes you a lot, you swing back. And so my swinging back was to dive really deeply into my musical experience and deeply into my creativity and deeply into giving myself permission to follow what I feel is right. And I don't really care if I perform for two students or 4,000 people in an arena or anything in between. And it was actually very apparent with this um, pedagogic course I did because there was 20 of us who were all music teachers and some of us got up to play for the um, staff, the lecturers. And I could tell who has done some touring and who hasn't who because hasn't those of us who hadn't, the moment something went wrong, it crumbled the whole thing. Instead of just, of us, okay, you just skip, you just yeah, skip a step. Yeah. yeah. And so speaking of non-rigidity, being on tour and playing in a big venue where the sound system could be your best friend or worst enemy from one minute to the next, you just really learn to like not crumble no matter what pickle juice you're put in. It is a, yeah. Yeah. Another way to frame it is like you learn how to dance with whatever knocks on the door. Yeah, pretty much. And sometimes your dance is clumsier than others, but yeah. it's still and a dance. Sometimes you still didn't you're just gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you are gorgeous. Sometimes, sometimes you your whole soul sings with it. Yeah. And you never know which experience is going to go which way. And there's an adventure and a risk and a beauty. And there's what Esther would call eroticism because of the risk. But as somebody who needs emotional safety in order to soar, when that got taken away, the risk became dangerous instead of exciting. And then that happens on a personal level. You can feel sometimes with a person that it's a risk and not a danger. And so it's exciting, but not dangerous. And again, that's where discernment comes in on a, 
on a personal level, like learning that lesson, learning to see, learning what to cut away and what to keep. Um, that's been like also in this uh, recent personal drama in the family where it's like, what's on the inside? What's on the inside that makes us, my daughter or me or you or anyone, like what makes us put ourselves in situations where we are, we are, I mean, we are players, right? I am a part of whatever is going on and, and what's my part in that and, and what can I do to learn from this situation so that next time something similar comes along, the dynamic I bring to the situation is a different one. Um, so there's, you know, there, it's like, that's kind of the thrilling aspect of life for me that, that there's, There's the possibility for that adventure, that exploration, that bringing myself to a similar situation, but me shifting, me bringing something else into the, 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 the moment that poof can make something else happen. It's like, oh, I like that. That's thrilling. Because that, for me, is the eroticism that Esther Perel speaks with. That is the life force. That is the, that's the spark. Or that's, that is what brings the potential for the spark that can then, woo, just take, take off. And we can never do that when we're ashamed. No, that's impossible. Being ashamed is like a wet blanket. It's like, there is not going to be any sparks. <laughs> No sparks possible when you're a yeah. wet blanket. It's just, it just does not happen. But my feeling is, I was, I was telling my friend today that um, I've really been in hibernation this winter, really deeply hibernating here in my house, inside of myself. I've been meeting a lot of people online yes but i have been meeting more people so to speak in books i've been reading you know the first four months of this year did i read 50 books yeah i did it's like i just and and i've been reading about complex characters that are full and rounded not perfect in any sense with, with bunny ear, but, but like people. Real. With, real with like really fucking amazing good sides. And then oh horrible, bad, negative, dark sides. And I love it. It's like, so I've been drawn to these darker aspects of, of, of characters where I haven't read, like I've, I'm not sure that I've read any feel good this year, which I do now and again, 
But this year, no, because he's like, I need more darkness. I've needed more of the of the shadows. Um, sounds like reading about other shadows makes your shadows more able to come out. That's precisely the experience I have. So now I am, I am personally playing and experiencing these shadows. The situation, the drama situation definitely brought out my shadow side, powerful shadow side, mama bear shadow side. It's like, it was, you know, I can be dangerous there. Absolutely. But now and again, that's valid. Now and again, that is what's necessary to survive, to live, to thrive. That can be a really good thing instead of being afraid of it. And no, cannot, you know, distancing myself. It's like, okay, bring it on. And now I have, I have the sense that I'm, I'm, I'm starting to come out of the shell. I'm starting to come out of my cave and actually meeting people in, in person. I went to Denmark, to Copenhagen, to my friend on Sunday and just, you know, like, and cause I've like, I haven't wanted to go anywhere, but it's like, no, yeah, I went to my friend in Insta today. Yeah, I do. So there's a, there's a movement happening. There's um, that discernment that you speak of, of yeah. when is it safe to let the shadows, when it's appropriate, when it, when is it positive to let the shadows mm -hmm. out and when is it to say, you can keep them inside. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's a little bit like, it's like charging a battery. Like, you know, you can bring them out. But if they're only on 5%, it's like they won't get anything Last. done. They won't do anything. They're too diluted. They're too weak. It's like, no, I've been charging up. <laughs> They've been at 100% ready and rearing to go. And it's like, okay, what happens now? And as I'm saying that, there's a little bit of that sense of of weight, of stability, of, of groundedness. But it's like you say, I need more of those. I, and, and for me, it is really give me a facilitated experience where I can feel held. And within that, I can let go. I can, I can experience, I can play, I can bring all of those stuffs out. Um, that's one of the conditions for me in this private sphere where that's one of the ways that I can help myself unravel, unfold, start to like the, the blossom is this opening up. That speaks directly to that swim coach's yes. idea of yeah. we need, yeah. you called it a facilitated yeah. experience where yeah. You can lean, you can yeah. feel good within your container enough to blossom out of it. Yeah. Yeah. What is an experience like that for you? If you feel like sharing. Well, so I've had, I've had a couple of those. It's been a couple of years since I did them, but, um, 
2018, I had four of those very clear facilitated experiences, starting with a goddess weekend. Uh, all women. And just, you know, all sorts of, 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 of exercising. There was m movement and dancing and there was introspection and reflection and writing. There was sharing. There was, you know, it was like all sorts of, of things. But that was a good starter. And then I went to the No Mind Festival in Engsbacke, which is a, Engsbacke is this, it's this place further up north in, in Sweden where they have all sorts of different um, festivals. There's a Tantra festival and there's a, the No Mind Festival is kind of a everything festival. So there's music and they have um, like shamanic weekends and courses and lots of stuff. It's great fun. Um, this was the first and only time I went there and it was a big, you know, there were, I don't know, 1100 or 1200 people there for a week. So a lot of stuff, lots of energies around. And you could, I could, you could try out anything and everything, everything from singing together or dancing together or, um, taking what different types of like workshops. Private moment. There was. So that's, that's where, when I do this things, I am helped by not doing it in private. I have, cause I did, there was a, a, a tantric breast massage workshop that was freaking awesome. <laughs> that was the coolest thing I've ever experienced. I had my first energy orgasm during that workshop. And it was just amazing. And it's like, I could, I, I could give myself that because I had another energy orgasm a couple of months later when I did a playful Tantra weekend, just from, from, um, what's rebirthing the, the breathing. Uh, where you just basically, you breathe quite forcefully in and out, in and out and for an hour's time. And I had another one. So it's like, I know I can do that, but I don't. So me, just me, it doesn't happen. I don't, no, I don't let myself. Be a content. Oh, wow. Really? I don't. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like, well, you know, no, I just don't, I don't step into it. Then I don't, I don't do the container. I don't do the setting. I don't like take time for it or go into it with that thing. But if it's, if it's a facilitated experience, I can be all in and I can be so all I in. Why you wouldn't be able to do that for yourself. Like, it's like, I haven't that... gotten there yet. That's, that's my feeling. I haven't gotten there yet. It's like, okay, I need the facilitated experiences. And my, my sense is I no longer, I wouldn't go to the no mind festival now because I don't want the big, I want the small.
I want the little. So I'm going to a twilight retreat in two weeks' time, which I think will be like 20, 20 women facilitated by uh, When the Blackbird Sings and Wild Herborista on Instagram, two Swedish ladies that are special, that I don't really have a lot of connection with, but I've been interested in what they're doing. I've been, you know, taking part of what they're doing and checking them out and feeling into it. And then this retreat came on and I was like, that's the one. I have no clue what it will be, but it feels just right. So I was like, okay, here we go again. Let's see what happens. I don't know. But I, I think, so here's the thing. When I am just with me, that mental vice is on. Yeah, that's it. That's what happens. I don't, I, you know, I'm not helped to remove it. And I don't do it from within yet. It's like, so, so it's like, sometimes no. I don't know that smoke pot removes it for me. So tell me that again, because now the internet was wobbly again. Okay. I have found that there have been times when smoking pot has done that, removing oh. the mental vice. Yeah. And I don't think that that's the only substance or the only way to do it. But because that has worked for me, for a little while, I allowed that substance to be my container. Yeah. And I have found that with time, the container could be within me without the substance. Yeah. So you didn't need that, that setting or that I can now prop. do it without the pot. Just the rest of the setting is there because it's a mindset. Yeah. And interestingly, that sometimes helps my professional as well. Because if I can do it with me and not relying on external factors to give me that container of self-expression, then an external factor becomes nice to have, but not must. Yeah. But it started with a it being a must have for that, for me to even learn how to get in that mindset. <laughs> and so it can be a prop and there's nothing wrong with a prop. Again, there's a difference between discernment and judgment, but yep. because you can say, if you say with judgment, you would say, uh, 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 it's not good to need a prop. Uh, but with discernment, you can say there's definitely times when a prop is just what the doctor ordered for you to be able to do what it is that needs to be done. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that there is that again, flexibility of the discernment 
Yeah. That you can accept and, and learn when the prop is needed and when it's no longer necessary. Yeah. And I think for me, it's like, for me, that prop so far has been external facilitation. Totally. It makes yeah. sense. Yeah. But like, I think what's more interesting is how to internalize that. Yeah. And through using the prop, get to a place where you're able to internally do it. Yeah. And I've been, you know, it's like I have, and I've been, it, it's such an interesting thing. I, there's somehow a large part of me that is so It needs to be functional. It needs to be efficient. It needs to be like, it, it's like there's that efficiency, functionality, um, productivity. There's that aspect of me that when I am by myself, I don't, I don't let myself just enjoy the luxuriety of, but I have done for the past two years, I've, I have a, 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 a bathtub in the basement in my bathroom. And for so many years, I never used it. For the past two years, maybe not every month, but not far from it. And I bring down candles and I have soft music playing and I can just, you know, hot, 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 hot water. And I love that. And I'm just enjoying it. I'm just in the moment of the pleasure of the feeling, the experience, the sensation. I'm just there. And like, I don't. I haven't used perfumed shampoo or detergent or anything for like 30 years. And I don't use lotions and, you know, it's like I wash my face with water in the morning and the evening and then I'm done. Um, so now when I turned 50, I think I, I have it here on the table. I got a couple of, probably three or four people gave me luxurious lotions and, and whatnot. I still haven't used them. But it's, it's interesting because, again, it is that thing that I can let myself enjoy it. It doesn't have to mean anything. It doesn't, I don't have to put on the layer of judgment. Oh no, I don't want perfumed products. I can just, you know, I can just enjoy it. It's, it's sort of how our conversation is. It's meandering. Yeah. You yes. can yes, yes, yes. a little bit. Then you can dabble on your nose. Yeah. Or not. Yeah. And it, none of it is right or wrong, just is. Yeah. One of the beautiful things 
that I learned in the pedagogy course, I went. This specific one focuses on a non-judgmental environment, which is why I felt like it was really um, valuable. So when you teach students, they say, what is a mistake? And the answer is mistakes are information. Yes, precisely. They're not good. They're not bad. They're not evil. They're not smelly. They're not loud. They're just information. And when you meander and explore mistakes, that's when you learn the most from them. And when you meander and explore, well, maybe it's just water or maybe it's water with a little bit of essence of lavender, or maybe it's just this really heavy lotion and you'll be like, ew, too much. But then you're going to go from one extreme to the next extreme. And then uh, the pendulum is going to start sort of swinging a little bit less and a little bit less until you find that balanced middle. But without swinging the pendulum, it doesn't happen. Without swinging the pendulum, there's rigidity. Yes. Yes. There's no And movement. then you're like a wooden figure. And yep. You can't do anything. Yeah. So I hope that you... Take time to meander through your luxurious yeah. lotions. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to bring them up. I have like this gorgeous little amazing space by Laura Bonet. Delicate skin, soothing face, eye, and neck care. High-tech organic nature-suiticals. This gorgeous little box. And I was <laughs> opening that thing of it and it's like oh I've never you know it's like I have never I would never indulge yourself in this I was like I would just never and I know the person who gave me this she knows me well she knows me so well oh so it's kind of fun she just gave you a container exactly exactly and I've been, my friend Issa, she also gave me a, 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 a thing of a jig of some sort. But last fall, I was at, at their place, Jakob and Issa's place, and she gave me a soap that she's made herself. And it is, it's as if you, I turn into velvet. It, so it's silky, it's velvety, it's it's so delicious on my body to do that. So I do use that one and I have been thoroughly enjoying it because just the 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 actual physical sensation of that soap that's kind of a lotiony soap almost is just mm, it's it's just it's so sensual because it brings out it all of the really senses. That way. Yeah, it brings out all of the senses. It's just, it's, it, that is also one of those containers that just opens up all of these like deliciousnesses. 
it almost sounds like the more you do that, the more containers you set up for yourself, the less realistic is it going to be to have shame and lack of containers mm -hmm. because your experience of containers is going to be so much more overwhelmingly major than yeah. the experience of no containers and shame and rigidity yeah. that little by little, you can turn that balance into where the normal is actually having all this yeah. and the not normal is being deprived of it, yeah. whether by yourself or by circumstance or by a person doesn't matter, but it sounds like I'm on my way journey. Yeah, yeah, you were on my way. Sounds yeah. like it. Yeah, it's sometimes a, just reminding yourself that this is the path, that this is the the journey. Yeah, because that that helps me to like step out. The word I was looking for before dynamics, I was like utilitarian. I can be so utilitarian. Yes. It's like everything needs to have its function and stuff, but it's like no. practical. Yeah, it's like, and no, it doesn't have to be. There is more to life than that. I am not a worker bee. It's like, that is not. There is so much more on the table. Just, you know, pick and choose. Um, but use it. So I think what I'm taking a lot out of this conversation is that no matter what rigidity, what I say is met with, I need to be dogged about my discernment and flexibility, almost in a rigid way. <laughs> yeah. Like unwaveringly, unwaveringly. Discerning. Yeah. Bring it back in. And hopefully I can give enough to myself of that entitlement to be discerning, entitlement to have flexibility, to where when it's met with rigidity and judgment, I can just kind of say, you know, yeah. thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> Thus far, when it's met with rigidity and judgment, it hurts because I too have needed the container mm. and the person who was that container no longer is. And all of a sudden I'm containerless. Yeah. And feeling at a loose end is a really good description of that. So the more I become that container for me, the more I can own it. And the more you will get to experience. And imagine the, the gift of that. Imagine the gift of people like that, because what you're, what you're doing, how you are being is 
is such a... It's an invitation. It's an invitation to others to, to, to be and do that thing. Because you're yeah, not I need minimizing to yourself. My, Precisely. I need to invite myself Precisely. first. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, but if, then as a, as a consequence, it is yeah. an invitation to others. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I mean, it can be an invitation to others to come play with you, but it can also be an invitation to others to start to play with them, to create their own container, to, to like, okay, how can I own me? How can I be so self-honoring and so... Yeah. Just yeah. in that space of, of, of letting the eroticism that is life be there, a presence. Um, and I'm, I'm, for I'm, me, it's one step further. Tell me. It's not only letting that be, but when some other entity or circumstance tries to make it back into rigidity to help keep it jelly-like. Because there's going to be entities and people around us that will always prefer the security of rigidity. And it's going to be up to us to like, not allow that discernment to turn into dirt. Yeah. Either from others or from ourselves towards ourselves. Yeah. And I'm thinking that one of the things that I'm, I'm really going to Anchor the sensation I had last week where in a professional setting, I could feel so free and detached from others' beliefs or thoughts or whatever. Just such as, like you say, that emotional safety was just there coming from me, you know coming from within me. It's like, I'm, I was that container for me then. So having that experience and kind of like really touching it and, and like feeling it and remembering what does that, what did that feel like? How was that is something I think can really help me when I jump over to the personal side, because like, okay, I know what that feels like. It's not, it's not new to me. It's not foreign to me. I know no that. Longer. No, because yeah. I know that. Yeah. So that way I can be my own role model. Uh, in a sense. And we're our own best role models because yeah. Our experience within ourselves is much more visceral for yeah. us yeah. than anybody else's experience. Yeah. So when you have experienced it viscerally on your skin and on yourself and on your psyche, it becomes a lot easier to sort of take it and put it in different categories of yourself. And I have a totally different experience from last week that was also a very visceral one. I 
have been wearing, like, I would say 99.5% only barefoot shoes or being actually barefoot since 2016. I like that. I basically don't have any other shoes and, you know, I don't fit into them anymore. Last week, I was in a machine workshop for four days doing or being a, a witness in a sense to, to a factory acceptance test. And I had to wear safety shoes and they are heavy and they're hard and they're, you know, steel in the front and it's like thick soles and whatnot. I felt like I was walking around with concrete blocks and my feet were going, what the fuck are you doing to us? You have been liberating us since I started in 2014. That's when I did my, bought my first pair of, of barefoot shoes. And they were like looking up at me going, hey, you, we don't do this constraining thing anymore. It's just not us. It's not on. So. That's also one of those role modeling things where I have such a good relationship with my feet today. They are so happy that they are allowed to be. They are free to roam about and, and be all that they can be. That there's like other body parts of mine that are like, hey, that's precisely what we're looking at as well. You know, that's, that's the role model. That's what my arms want to do when I'm out and I want to dance or my voice want to do when Dominic says, make a sound. And I say, bah, and then go in my head and make the bah, you know, it's like, so that's also one of those things. Like, and it was such a good reminder to have to wear these horrible prison shoes for four yeah. full days. And just, I could feel, cause I was so conscious of my feet being hemmed in, being trapped, being, you know, held in a vice. It's like, hmm. Which again is that mental vice. Yes, it feels like having safety yeah. shoes on my feet. It's the same yeah. feeling. But isn't it so beautiful that you also have experiences that don't have advice, that the vice gets removed because once you set a precedent, yeah. then that experience can expand yeah. a lot. Yeah. Maybe that's where we end. Yeah. I think that's, that's a good, a good feeling. One. It's a good expanse. It's like, ooh, it's like the universe. It's like, it just does not end. It's like... It's infinite. It's not endless. It's infinite. It's like, and even you there? and I, we're not ending. We're pausing. You are. Because there's going to be more. Yeah, there is. I look forward to the next one as well. And the next. And right, the next. And whenever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I had a conversation last Friday with Frank from season one. We were in a three-hour Zoom, and it was so lovely. We haven't had a one-on-one for quite a while, but it's just, 
Yeah. It's just, it's just fantastic. It is so wonderful. So these, doing these five conversations, each with five people, it is like, talk about me making such a huge investment in my entire life because connections form deep and relationships come out of this. There's like, there's a closeness. There's a, there's a shared experience that is like, this isn't a little bit shallow on the surface. No, it goes deeper than that. And at the same time, you're also building your container that is your own through those conversations. Yeah. And so am I. Like, yeah. we both build those containers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's what, in the first two seasons, when we've rounded them off, we've had group session, a group session or two with everybody in the season. So you can prepare for that one. And it's, that is the insight that I, I got the first of those is like, oh yeah, this impacts everything in my life. I can't, you know, it's like, this isn't, oh yeah, I'm spending an hour or two in a conversation with, you know, 25 times over five months or something. It's like, no, 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 no. That's just what it looks like on the surface, but it has precisely, it goes in everything. Every cell of my body is invested in this, is impacted by this. Um, That's lovely. Yeah. yeah. That's the one thing that is worth going for, isn't it? Yeah. The rest of it, just the surface part is so unsatisfactory once you've allowed yourself to dive deeper. Well, we'll do it again. We'll do it again until next time, Bella. Thank you for today. Thank you, Helena. We'll see you soon. Going on a personal journey of exploration That is more like a meandering conversation with myself because it's not a journey from A to B or even A to Z where I know where I'm going. I know the final destination and that's the goal. <laughs> it is the meandering exploration that is everything in a sense. And that's, I would say, what happens in the monthly Tankisbian Zoom calls that we have over on the Patreon community. Kind of like this conversation and like the other conversations, only there's more than two people. Not too many, though, because I don't want there to be too many. I want everybody to be able to, to come to share, to be open and vulnerable and confused and elated and like bring all of that to the table. So if you're curious, go over to patreon.com slash tankisbjarn or find the link to the community on tankisbjarn.com.
and check us, check us out. Because we have fun. We have fun. 90 minutes every month. There's some meandering exploration going on around a topic or around no topic. Everyone really wants to show. So hop on over there and see if you, if you feel like joining, then you join. And I hope to see you there.